everyone, and welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. Since we met at a bike race in China three years ago, we've spent all our time traveling and adventuring around the world. We're both interested in all kinds of sports, from cycling to running to swimming to yoga to strength training to salsa dancing. And we realized that for us, the most athletic feat we could accomplish is the ability to flow between whichever type of adventure presents itself any day, whether that's rock climbing or a really epic bike ride. And since we live together, travel together, and work together, we really needed another project to do together, so we decided to explore that concept in this podcast. In this podcast, we will share with you conversations about people who are well-versed in the language of adventure and movement, ranging from elite athletes who balance things like pro cycling with high-level rock climbing, to someone who balances work, family, and weekend adventures in the kayak and trail running. Together, we will hear their stories and tease out tactics that we can apply to our own adventures and learning. Together, we will continue to grow into the consummate athlete. So this week, we've just landed in Lake Arrowhead, California for the first couple of U.S. mountain bike cups that Peter is racing. Uh, We've had a couple of really good months out in California doing things outside of bike riding, like trail running and salsa dancing, and it's been awesome, but now we are pretty focused on mountain biking for the week. Uh, But to kick off this podcast, we wanted to interview each other in our respective areas of expertise to give you all a sense of who we are and what matters the most to us. So we're going to start with Peter. Uh, So Peter, give us your 30-second bio. Hello, everyone. Uh, so I'm Peter Glassford. I am from Ontario, Canada. Um, basically, I professionally, I guess I've raced mountain bikes for about 15 years. Um, I went to school many years ago now. Uh, He's not that old. Uh, I went to school for kinesiology, uh, minored in biology and English, and a bit of business. Um, subsequent to that, I became a registered kinesiologist, which uh, is sort of a new development in Ontario. Um, so basically the kinesiologist is, or movement professionals, uh, kinesiology being the study of movement, uh, became regulated. So it's sort of an odd, exciting time, um, with pros and cons, but basically, uh, movement professionals now, so working in the gym or rehab, um, have become regulated. So that's an exciting thing and something I spend a bit of time on when we're back home and certainly working with athletes, uh, in my coaching, uh, job, uh, which I've been doing now for over 10 years, coaching, cycling, sort of endurance sports. Um, sort of found myself a niche with the busy people um, looking to do things like Leadville and that sort of stuff. So you're master's athlete, you're 30 plus, 40 plus sort of athlete looking to do crazy things like 100 mile bike races on limited time. So uh, yeah, so I guess that's that's me. I kinesiologist, cycling coach, professional mountain bike racer. I like to think of myself as a moderate bike racer, but I do okay, I guess. Um, and then I guess just stepping back, uh, kinesiology... Uh, again, study of movement. And so my whole life, I've just really liked sport and movement. So that's why I got into kinesiology. And I, I obviously pursued cycling pretty hard a lot of my life. Um, you are running so far over the 30 seconds. Yeah. It is yeah. So I guess that's it. So I think it's just I, I love movement and kinesiologists. I, I, I get paid for how, every time I mention kinesiology as part of the PR, <laughs> Apparently PR <so>. strategy. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's, let's just dial it back to uh, apparently ancient times when you were an athletic kid. And for the listeners, he's 32. He's really not that old, I promise. Um, 
Yeah. So were you athletic as a kid? I mean, I, I, again, I, I like to think of myself as moderately good at a bunch of things. Um, and I've sort of embraced that, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, we played a lot. We were exposed. My parents were pretty good about exposing us to like a bit of karate and uh, we're from Canada. So we definitely skated a lot. Um, so basic sort of skating lessons um, leading into hockey and then big into hockey and baseball till sort of my middle teens or into late high school, I guess. Um, and his dad still shakes his head and says he could have gone pro in baseball. So Yeah. Yeah, so basically, I mean, hockey ended because of concussions, which is, you know, one of the topics I'd love to get into, um, should we find someone willing to come and talk to us about concussions, um, or their experience with concussions, um, but I basically kept bike racing, and then also trying to play hockey, and so I was 135 pounds, and got smoked many times, uh, once I, everyone got bigger, and started focusing on hockey, about as hard as I was focusing on cycling, so... Yeah, so I played those sports uh, through university and stuff, you know, just sort of club-based stuff, playing around with a lot of different stuff, you know, rec league, you know, but sort of baseball, hockey. But you've um, always been pretty athletic then. Yeah, I mean... Sports has always just been a big part of your Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, gym class I loved, like, we whatever was basketball, badminton, I really loved badminton. Um... You know, there's obviously, you know, water-based sports I'm not amazing at, uh, but, you know, we did swimming lessons all through and, you know, um, it's only so much time, but yeah, we were definitely always outside. So definitely always moving, jumping bikes, skateboarding. Yeah. So how did all of that end up transitioning into, you know, the point now where you've been racing elite mountain bikes for 15 years? What was the catalyst for mountain bikes on the way? Um... I mean, all through high school and stuff, we didn't. I didn't really race, so I didn't really get into it till a little later. Like we rode and we jumped bikes, uh, belt dirt jumps and stuff after school. Um, and then yeah, I think just my really close group of friends as we transitioned into high school, we started racing and yeah, just riding mountain bikes more. And it's one of those things that you start doing it locally, and then you learn that there's you know a, a provincial series. Um, in Ontario, we're pretty lucky. We have a really strong provincial series, um, and a lot of strong riders have come out of Ontario. So, you know, I just sort of that rolling thing and you do, I never, again, I did moderately, you know, even into elite and, you know, I just kept at it and there's something in cycling, but I think also in movement that was just addictive, like for me to have an individual sport where, you know, I could see my wattage getting better or, I bunny hopped this bigger log or did, you know, a better time up a hill. Like it was just controllable and all on me. And I think that's why I'd gravitated towards cycling versus, you know, continuing with baseball or something. Yeah. Now most, I mean, a lot of elite cyclists sort of burn out unless they go, you know, super pro and that's all they're doing. So how did you, I mean, did you ever have a period of burnout? Did you manage to skip it? And if so, like why, how? I don't know. I don't know why I stuck with it. I, you know, a lot of my friends stopped and were smarter and, you know, I went and got my degree um, and went to school and, you know, tried to take care of myself outside of sport. So I don't know if that was part of it. Like I never went full in and, you know, you could, and I often say this, like the reason I didn't make it big time, I guess, if there's a big time, um, likely is because I didn't, you know, fully focus, but I, it just never really interests me to be so, 
like focused on something and, and maybe I just didn't have the mental fortitude to, you know, focus and put all my eggs in one basket. Um, well, thankfully this podcast is about spreading those eggs into several baskets. So I think we're yeah, all right. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if I have a lot more reason why I didn't. I mean, I think just, you know, I've had, you know, a couple of good mentors and a couple of good friends who were mentors growing up and, you know, we always jumped and we always, I always say, if you can hop logs and skid, like it'll be, it's a good ride. I, that's what I always ask the kids at coaching stuff after the race and stuff. I never asked them for their result. I just always ask them how the race go. And they're starting to figure out, like they just need to tell me and they got air and, you know, did a skid. And I think if you keep that focus and you can keep that fun and that progression again, like those little controllable elements, like I'm always, can I hop something crazier, you know, or, you know, just those little things that are so independent of the actual racing. It's um, true. You didn't get choked up when we got engaged. You got choked up when you got over a bridge you'd never gotten over on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> I'm can't just leave it at that. I'm I have just, nothing else to say. I'm but. glaring at him, but it's fine. Yeah, I think it's just that you, for the people I know, you know, someone like Jeff Kabush is, you know, he's... In a lot of interviews, he said, you know, something along the lines of keeping it fun, you know, keep going till the fun stops. And knowing Jeff, like, I think he's really similar. Like, I've seen him play on trial stuff, you know, just in the middle of the forest. And, you know, any of the guys that and girls who have kept going, you know, it's usually because they have some sort of internal reason, like that trying to get better, trying to get better. Yeah. Um, you know, it's never because we're making money. I don't yeah. think that's ever the case with cycling. <laughs> yeah. So typically, I mean, cyclists are pretty one-dimensional, and you've worked really hard to avoid that. I mean, I've seen you in the gym. I know you can run with me. You can sort of swim. I mean, ish. Uh, how have you managed to stay so well-rounded while focusing on racing mountain bikes? Like, we were running just last week, and you're racing this weekend. Um, I think the gym's a big part of that, honestly. Like, I think strength training helps a lot, you know, keep the range of motion and um, but more so just trying all that. Like I've been running, you know, we've done some crazy stuff. Like I've done a full road marathon. Um, I've done like 80 K's off road. We set the best time on a trail up in, uh, Northern Ontario, um, one fall. So I think I've just never, I've always had that other stuff sort of kept in there. You know, a lot of cross training, you know, growing up as an elite cyclist, like it's gets snowy in Canada. So I'm pretty good at riding rollers and trainers inside and but I've also done a lot of hours of running and things like pole running and skiing and so I think maybe growing up in Canada has and and ha not having, you know, just friends who are bike racers, like having friends who are into running or BMXing or skateboarding, you know, I, I think was part of it. But I think honestly looking back as I think through it, like I think growing up in Canada probably is what like, if I grew up in California and or had the opportunity to go down south, you know, as a cadet or a junior when I was, like, 15, had I had that early success, like, again, I might have been better at cycling, but I also may have lost a lot of that, you know, those hundreds of hours of skiing or hundreds of hours of running. And yeah, so for I, sure. I think a lot of it has to do with that, if I had to give you one thing. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, you went to school for kinesiology, so how does that play into your training, your coaching philosophies, and, I mean, how you live today? 
Um, I know some of the really nerdy stuff he does. We'll get into that later. I think I'm very, like, my, my business, I called it Smart Athlete. It's sort of a louder cliche, I guess, in some ways. But I think that's, you know, if I had to say philosophy, like, I try and help, again, sort of those busy people or, you know, if I had a niche, it would be those master's athletes who are, you know, really pushing the limits of what they can do with eight hours of training. Um, and they do awesome things. It's it's pretty cool. And, you know, these are people who are parents, you know, you know, VI, or VIPs, VPs. We're all VIPs. Um, so, yeah, I think my kinesiology training has sort of given me a holistic, if we're going to throw out catchphrases, holistic look at stuff. So with athletes, I'm very, like very early, I want to know, you know, how they're sleeping, you know, what is, how do they move off the bike, right? And to me, that movement off the bike, you know, can you deep squat, can your arm go over your head is stuff that, you know, maybe we couldn't in a study show that it's beneficial in terms of avoiding injury and long-term health. But I mean, if your hip moves through range and your shoulders move through range, I feel like, and my experience has been that you're much less likely to get injured on the bike. And, you know, you can thrive in a bunch of different situations. If we have to get off our bike and run in a mountain bike race or a cyclocross race, you know, we're able to do that without getting sore, without, you know, being inefficient, without, you know, doing something wonky in our in our running or our riding to get around that, right? To sort of yeah. cheat our way through and all of a sudden, 20 years later, we have knee replacements. Well, so. and to bring that back to, you know, less racing, you know, if you're on the trail and your bike breaks, like, beyond repair, the ability to get out of the woods without your legs cramping horribly because you can't actually run or, like, you sure. can't lift your bike and carry it for a mile. And I think just give you options. Like, I mean, I remember going to a World Cup with my friend Eric and teammate at the time, and you know, our wheels, it was some crazy thing where Belgians took our wheels in their like RV and we didn't even know the people, but we couldn't fit them. So they took our wheels, but they disappeared and for like two days longer than they were supposed to. So we were at this world cup, I think it was Austria. And we, we just ran the course and like both of us were into running and you know, it, it, it's debatable whether we needed to run it or walk it or whatever. But for us mentally, you know, we got a bit of our workout our you know, maintenance workout in, we saw the course and, you know, we had a blast. Like I still remember that, like, you know, really cool moment. Um, so yeah, I think the way it influences me to sort of circle back is that I try and encourage my athletes to be adaptable so that when they're on their business trip for a week, you know, or their wheels get stolen by Belgian people or, <laughs> You know, just something, you know, there's disruption to training, you know, there's disruption, you know, they're on the top of a mountain and it's snowing, you know, they're whatever, like bike breaks, you know, we have options. And then when something happens like crashing, we have options. So very movement based, very strength training, you know, mobility, you know, hashtag it. (laughs) I think you're supposed to say the hashtag first. Well, I'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. All right, so since we met, uh, your schedule has had to really shift to accommodate for a lot more travel. I mean, we've been to Europe a few times this season. Uh, You know, we're all over the U.S. We're living out of a van half the time. I mean, I know that's not super different for you, but it has been, you know, less time spent racing and more time spent just on the road for other reasons. Um, And we're just spending a lot more time together, you know, versus your swinging bachelor lifestyle where you could just train all day and recover. Uh, 
How has that changed your training, and is it better or worse? I think I have to say it's better, don't you I? You do. But you really do. <laughs> um, I mean, I've always traveled a lot, and I've always, I always joked about, you know, living in my car, basically, and, like, I was always doing remote rides and, you know, getting dressed at the trailheads and stuff. So, I mean, I'm fairly used to being all over the place and traveling. Um, definitely having a relationship in your life is, you know, you see some people who do it really well and the highest level athletes have relationships and then you see, you know, other people who don't. I think the emotional stability, again, getting back to that sort of holistic um, look at things, like I think it just levels you out a little bit. I think when I think about, like, university maybe did that for me too. You sort of have different things you're focused on. And I don't want to say that like a relation. I mean, I think that's fair to say. I think relationship is something that you need to invest time in. Um, Aww. And so, yeah, I think that's what it is, is like it's something else to think about, right? Like you can only think about, even if you're really driving hard at something, you know, you can't think about it all day. So I think that and then, you know, as you mentioned, helping that is that we can run and do a bunch of stuff together outside of my quote-unquote performance domain um, of racing bikes. Yeah, I mean, we were in Ireland last year for three weeks without bikes, and, I mean, I don't think you lost any fitness. Um, I mean, that goes into other layers, which we can go into in future episodes about my overtraining. and Chronic overtraining load for eight years, but, sure. I mean, overtraining or just love of training, I think. And so for me, taking time off usually is quite performance enhancing. So yeah, that was sort of off season. But yeah, I mean, again, be, not being, you know, we we're able to do some crazy adventures. Um, yeah, tons of You know, of which speaks to hiking. what we're talking about here, you know, and we'll continue to talk about is, you know, situations where you can go places and do things, you know, to experience really, really cool things that aren't accessible if, you know, you're just on a tour bus or, you know, just on your bike or, you know, are not doing whatever, right? Like, what could you experience if you're into rock climbing or swimming? Like, there's a whole world in swimming that, you know, is really crazy to me. Um, and that's definitely something that's been on my list is just sort of water-based stuff. There's so much you can do. You know, yeah. whole worlds, essentially, you know, underwater, you know. And so it's similar. Like, I mean, if you've ridden a bike or rid- gone hiking, you know, you've probably had that somewhat egotistical moment where you're like, oh, you know, no one gets to see this. They're all in their cars or whatever. But, I mean, when you th- step back, it's like, where are your blind spots in that movement, right? So in the gym, we can look at blind spots. Can you put your arm over your head, you know, pull, push, that bad shoulder, you know, lacking ankle mobility. But in movement, as a more global sort of thing, like, what's under the water you know what can you do on top of the water you know with like kiteboarding and stuff but now you're getting like airborne right like you know this whole thing's like have you gone bungee jumping or have you gone you know parasailing like there's whole environments that we're not you know getting exposed to and yeah yeah now that earning the view thing like really sticks with me once uh, when i was back when i was racing xterra i randomly like ended up in a house with a bunch of athletes and I don't know how I ended up there it was in San Francisco or I was out at a race and I ended up staying there for like three weeks so we were getting up at like four in the morning to like go to master swim and 
the one guy had like a few husky dogs so like we'd run them on the beach attached to tires and like run next to them and I remember one day I went to go take a picture of like the dogs running and he stopped me he's like no like no one should be allowed to see this unless they've really earned it and I thought that was sort of ridiculous but at the same time I do sort of love that concept that came out of that about earning your views and yeah, I mean, you know, I had to run a mile out on this beach to see these dogs being awesome. So I do, right. I do love the slight, uh, you know, lift you get from being like, yeah, I'm the only one that got to see this. Yeah, I think especially when you think about it as, okay, well, you did that, but, you know, we all have room to improve, right? And, you know, other things to explore, which I think is exciting. It shouldn't be demoralizing that, you know, like I can't swim. Like that to me is exciting at this point. And, so I think that's something we'll come back to a lot is that beginner's mindset. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, which actually leads to the next question I had for you, which is, um, you know, for people who are new to any kind of training, uh, you know, where do you start? Like, I think that's the scariest thing is just like, oh, crap, I've never run, but I want to be a runner or I've never ridden and I want to ride. Right. I mean, I think that's an area that we can look at a lot, right, is finding out how people start and how, you know, even my experience with swimming, hopefully, we can sort of watch a little bit. And, um, I mean, for you, you know, you've been mountain biking for a while, but, you know, you're still learning every time you're out there, right? And that's exciting. Like, for me, to do anything on my mountain bike takes a long time to gain, like, fractions of percents, right? So, when you're a beginner, the attraction to me after so many years with mountain biking is that... You can basically get like 10% better. Maximal you know, gain. Right? Like <laughs> I couldn't bunny hop yesterday. Today I can bunny hop or hop a log or, you know, the size of log you can get over doubles in one ride, um, which sounds odd, but I mean, it's really fun. So that's, I think, again, if we're getting to the core message of this podcast is to explore this being a beginner, you know, in a movement based sort of, you know, different movement based environments. So as to how do you start, I think the biggest thing is is starting. I mean, if you're, you want to try bike riding, you're not a, a cyclist, like find a bike, any bike, it's probably the crappier the bike, the better, and, and just go for a ride. And then from there, you know, finding people that you know who can take you um, is, is good. But I think not complicating or looking for perfection is the biggest thing. It's just doing it like we went to the pool I'm thinking of my swimming example so like I've taken swimming lessons but um yeah like you took me to the pool and like I hadn't really gone to swim laps in my life really I took swimming lessons like private lessons a few years ago in the fall just to try and get decent um which was somewhat successful I guess but so Molly just sort of took me and pointed me towards the lane and sort of gave me an idea of like the rough rules so I wouldn't embarrass myself and you know, she tried to give me some tips here and there, but let me just flail around too. And, um, yeah. So I think having that, that friend to sort of just give you, Oh, you know, this is where the trail is or, you know, Oh, that, you know, the safe road to try for your bike is, is this road, uh, that can be really helpful, but start and find a, you know, a friend who's cool with letting you try, but give you the rough lay of the land. Yeah. I think you actually said one of the biggest things that I have been so guilty of over the years, which is the not getting hung up on the the proper gear and stuff. Like I remember when I got into rock climbing, I went to the climbing gym maybe like twice before I had to go out and buy the cool new pair of shoes. And, you know, I have a harness that I almost never use because we don't often have it with us when rock climbing presents itself and I end up renting one. So 
yeah, I have this, I had this terrible tendency and I, I like to think I'm almost over it of, uh, investing heavily in a sport before I actually know if I love it. Yeah. And I think, um, I guess segueing again in this show, I think that's one thing we're both really, as we do this more and more is finding, especially cause we're living essentially in a van right now. Um, it's a very tiny van too. Like, yeah, it's we not have a like Ford, a big Ford Transit. So if anyone has ideas or or you know, <laughs> is a van modifying expert and wants to come on and 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 help us out, that'd be great. Um, but having clothes and gear that is you know somewhat adaptable, so you know whether that's shoes that we can sort of run in, but then are still you know they don't look super goofy if you're walking around. You know they're not super neon or whatever. Um, so, you know, you can walk around the street if you need to, or, you know, go trail running or street running or, you know, what other things would you do in them? Hiking. Yeah, maybe go dancing or something, right? Um, so just finding gear that's, you know, fairly adaptable, you know, you could do the same thing with bikes, you know, have a bike that you can do a fair number of things with. Yay, cyclocross! Yeah, like a cyclocross bike being, you know, both a road bike, but then being able to check out some gravel, check out a bit of, you know, light trail. So... I think that gear is going to be something, you know, cool ideas and stuff that's helped people, you know, find again more adventure, more ap- application of sort of skill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, what are some of the most interesting coaching debates or dilemmas that you've run into lately? And I know a couple of really good ones. Um, I mean, without going too crazy long and stuff, I mean, I maybe just pull the latest thing. I've been, I don't know if I've been struggling with it, but just a couple different variations on a question. And so I'll try and do this as a quick sort of pique your interest sort of thing. But often I'll get the question, uh, it'll be phrased as, my heart rate is too high, or my heart rate is higher than other people's, or someone will be using a zone, um, and they won't be able to hit a wattage that they think they should be hitting, or they'll be in a zone and they won't be able to ride with their friend or something. So basically I get posed with this question is why is my heart rate too high or what should I do about my heart rate being too high? And I always, when it, whenever we're seeing should, I think is something that sort of gives me like an alarm where I'm like, well, why are we saying should, you know, what are, what are the rules or the assumptions that we're making in this case? So in the case of someone who's using zones, we might want to question why they're using that zone or if that zone's, you know, proper for what they're trying to do. Maybe in the case of someone with a really high heart rate, you might be just using, you know, a standard zone might be too low. They might actually, you know, you talk about the people who, you know, can talk to you at 180 beats a minute and they ride along and they can do a five hour ride at 180 beats. So for those people, they might have to ride up to, say, 80% of max or whatever the number is rather than, say, a 75% um, limit if they're going to use a limit. Um, I'd also have those people and just check their volume and make sure that they are indeed riding long enough to see an adaptation because usually what you'll see is if someone does, you know, a volume block, which isn't always possible, but usually with the high heart rate, we're talking about someone you know, a younger athlete often, but not always, um, usually just trying to get some longer rides in. So longer being longer than what they're used to doing, um, will knock that heart rate down a little bit. Um, and hopefully over time, and again, this takes months, years, they'll see an adaptation where the heart rate, you know, they can ride comfortably, 
and their heart rate would be more in what we would expect. Um, the second issue, again with a should statement, is someone who's comparing themselves to a power meter or someone who's comparing themselves to a friend and saying, okay, well, I can't ride endurance at this wattage or I can't ride with this person because my heart rate's too high. So again, we need to step back and say, well, what are you trying to do? So if you're trying to make this endurance adaptation, you might need to ride alone sometimes. But if your goal is to ride with this person, then maybe you just need to go ride and forget about using your heart rate and just ride for that day. Again, maybe it's a case where you just need to do it a few times. There'll be maybe an adaptation and you can roll along. So I think, again, lots of things going on there, but that high heart rate or the heart rate zones are often questions that I get. And I think just sort of simplifying things down and making sure that on a given day you have an objective. So if your objective is to ride under a heart rate limit, then use that. If your objective is to ride with a friend, then use that. And if you're going to go by wattage, then use that. And just, you know, there's no wrong answer as long as you're making progress. So final thing would be, we want to know if you're making progress. So if you want to try riding harder, so say you're going to ride at that 180 beats a minute for five hours for many days, coming circling back in a month when we want to do some testing or whatever, we want to be able to see that you're getting fitter and getting more are closer to your goal so that's always the important thing you can do whatever you want and probably any different training is going to work for a bit but you should always be getting better at whatever you're trying to do so if you want to race mountain bikes riding hard for five hours may not be applicable if your mountain bike race is 90 minutes so it might be relevant that you can't ride you know with your friend for five hours yeah i was gonna say i think a big part of it is just uh does the goal actually align with what you're doing and with the question you're asking right yeah so that goal for the day versus your goal for the year maybe yeah yeah so the should statement is something you know we can circle back on later but that's something that definitely i run into a lot where the athlete will get frustrated because they think they should be doing something and then we need to talk through you know, why we're doing something and what the goal is for the day and what the goal is for the year and then committing to a course of action that hopefully moves us towards that goal for the the block of the year. Right. All right. Last couple questions here. So, you know, along that line, you know, we talked a bunch about this really, you know, simplified living and training and, you know, learning how to do new things. Uh, But that said, you're also very much into you know, without sounding cliche, a bit of like the hacking your fitness and hacking your endurance kind of stuff. Um, So, you know, along those lines, what are sort of some of the topics you're hoping to talk about, you know, as we go along here in your kooky theme? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm into some pretty kooky stuff, but I always sort of laugh when you say that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things, you know, application of barefoot walking slash running uh, walking generally is something that in the last couple of years actually I've actually decreased the amount of time I'm riding a fair bit um, and maybe that relates to Molly's question about how Molly changed my training Yay. Um, but I found that walking so a really low level cardio has been I think pretty beneficial and again there's some ankle mobility hip mobility sort of benefits to that um, so walking is obviously something I like. Um, yeah, muscle oxygenation is something I've been using and testing with athletes and I think is pretty cool and pretty helpful in figuring out whether the, you know, what type of training we should do. And again, might relate to that. Why is my heart rate too high? Quote unquote, too high. 
Um, what on heart else? rate, you've been really into HRV lately. Yeah, different HRV apps and whether HRV actually does mean anything, which I'm still not too sure of. But uh, yeah, there's lots of kooky science stuff. And I think, again, sometimes when you're trying to do a lot of different things at once, that hack mentality can be helpful. We can take it too far as well and forget about basics. But um, yeah, there's definitely some, some tips and tricks. And yeah. We sort of like both ends of that spectrum, right? Like the super basic, but then we also like the, the super hacky stuff sometimes just sort of depends. Yeah. Maybe a balance of the two is, yeah. yeah. All right. Last question. What does being a consummate athlete mean for you? Um, I think for me, again, that word of balance, you know, so being able to you know, go and hang out with really anyone and go and do, you know, fun things, adventures, see new things, you know, continuing to grow as a person and as a, an athlete. Um, you know, I think using our bodies, you know, through full range of motion and challenging our bodies in new ways. Um, and, I, and I think being polite and, you know, respectful of the environment and other people and, you know, other people who use the similar environments in a, in a you know, in a being respectful of people who use the same environment as us for different purposes is I guess what I mean. So your horse users versus your hikers versus your mountain bikers. Um, you know, I think the, the consummate athlete is aware of those things as well. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited for our next few episodes and yeah, thank you for that awesome introduction. Take care. If you're interested in finding out more about smart athlete coaching, whether that's a customized training plan, one-on-one coaching, a phone consult, or skills session, please visit smartathlete.ca. That's S-M-A-R-T-A-T-H-L-E-T-E dot C-A. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any concepts or questions you'd love to hear addressed or have a great interview suggestion, even yourself, Tweet it to us at at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford or just hashtag your tweet, hashtag consummate athlete.